Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another insightful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had the opportunity to hang out with Dave Willis this week. Uh, We talked about one of the most pressing issues of our time. Dave and his wife, Ashley, host the Naked Marriage Podcast and co-host the Marriage Today television show on the Daystar Network. They travel across the country speaking on the topics of marriage, family, and culture. Dave's latest book will be released in November 2019 as entitled Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. Now, on this week's episode, Dave and I discuss the prevalence of disrespect toward women in our society and how, as Christ followers and as ministry leaders, we can address this issue from a Christ-centered perspective. Dave touches on some of the roots of this issue, including the ongoing stripping of both femininity and masculinity. Near the end of our conversation, Dave shares a powerful word about the church recapturing her role in relation to our culture. This episode, friends, will likely spark some deeper conversations with your ministry leaders, so be sure to share this one with your team. And now I invite you to join me in my conversation with Dave Willis. Dave, it's so good to have you with us here. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure. Awesome, brother. Now, one of the critical issues of our time, we're going to dive right into this because I want to take advantage of the time uh, we have together, Dave. Um, One of the critical issues is really how women are being treated. And we see this across the board. We see this, um, you know, uh, on news, online, on television. We see this in uh, celebrities. We see this in, in those in authority, those in influence. And even within the church, there have been countless um, heartbreaking events and conversations that just demonstrate a lack of respect for women. And Dave, I, I appreciate your heart for this, your desire to speak out. You have, have a new book that is um, going to be releasing soon uh, entitled Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. And so you've been spending a, a lot of time you know, researching and just thinking through this, praying through this, studying through this. Um, from your research, from your experience, Dave, why do you think it, it feels like, as a society, we are becoming less respectful of women? Man, that's a great question. And this this is a deeply personal question for me because my wife, Ashley, and I were the parents of four sons, um, just extraordinary young men ranging in age from preschool to high school. And we believe our most sacred duty of all the ministries God's entrusted to us is to raise them to honorable manhood, you know, to give them the tools they need to to follow the Lord with integrity and, and to be the kinds of husbands and fathers someday that God has created them to be. But we're looking at the world they're growing up in and the culture they're growing up in. And we see kind of exactly what, what you're talking about, that that for all the advancements that we've made, you know, as a society, there, there seems to be behind the scenes um, just this this toxic force in a lot of places that is disrespectful to women, maybe respectful on the surface, but then over and over, you don't have to watch the news for more than five minutes to see a story of some guy who on the surface was saying all the right things and was, you know, respectful to women possibly on the on the outside but then was living this double life in his mindset and in his actions that was really toxic. And so I really wanted to get to the root of that. First, it started kind of just as a passion project for my own sons. You know, I I wanted them obviously to not only be one of these 
these kind of horror stories that we see on the news of, of somebody who who is outwardly successful in every way, but then behind the scenes is uh, is really malicious toward women. But even beyond that, even beyond just kind of those worst case scenario stories, I, I wanted them to truly embody uh, respect for their mother, for the for the women and girls in their life and for the future wives uh, that they will have someday. And I so want to get that right. And so that the, the passion project kind of steamrolled and I realized, you know, this isn't just a message for my sons. I think this is a message that that needs to be told broader. It needs to be told in a broader way in society. And it needs to be a message that we can champion from the church because for whatever reason, uh, it seems like the, the church has been largely silent on these issues. And in that silence, the society's kind of pointed to the church and pointed out a few, you know, really bad stories that have emerged with some of our leaders and said, see, that the church doesn't care or Christianity is is inherently sexist. And, and I just, I wanted to dispel that as well, because I believe firmly that, that Jesus, more than anybody else in all of human history, did more to, to respect women and advance the, the dignity of women in his culture, which at the time was truly a, a really sexist culture. And when you look at what Jesus was doing in the Gospels, it was revolutionary how he was respecting women and empowering women. And and we've got so much to learn from his perfect example. And so really, that's the that's the foundation of the book. It's you know, it's it's the social social research of what's going on, what our kids are growing up in, the the prevalence of forces like pornography and what that's doing to kind of rewire young men's minds and how we need to combat that. But it's it's really coming back to the the gospel foundation of saying we've only got one perfect example of how a man should respect women. And it's in the only perfect man who's ever lived, Jesus himself. And when you you dive into the gospels and look at Jesus' life and ministry through that lens of of how he treated women, um, there's so much that we can learn and apply that's more timely than ever uh, to apply his example uh, to that aspect of our lives today. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. And I, I love your treatment of um, Jesus as, um, you know, respecter of women. And, and you you walk through and, and really help pull out from the gospel, um, the gospels, all these different instances where Jesus was really living that out. And, and in, in our time together, Dave, I'd like to kind of look at two things. One, I'd like to kind of get your perspective and your thoughts in regard to society as a whole. But also I want to be sure that we take time to be very reflective on um, the church itself um, sure. in this issue, right? So, but let's start with society as a whole. Disrespect for women is on the rise. I mean, publicly we see more and more instances where women are being objectified or dismissed, passed over, taken advantage of, abused. Dave, you would think that as a society we'd be moving in a more positive direction, yet we're not. Why do you believe we're seeing an uptick in this lack of respect for women? Yeah, that's a great question. And you've hit the nail on the head, I believe, with with kind of where we are and and the paradox of that, that that, you know, on one hand, on the surface, it looks like there have been all these great strides and in, in the way that women are respected. But then on the other hand, we're seeing just countless examples, horrific examples of how, you know, women are being disrespected. And right. so I think it's multifaceted. But I believe one of the one of the big factors is that there has become you know, really for many years, uh, this sort of socially acceptable mindset that you can compartmentalize certain aspects of your life and your integrity. And the compartmentalization as it refers to this is kind of what I call the locker room mentality. You know, the, the locker room is that place that you go where 
um, you can take the filters off and, and anything goes, you know, you can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want as it relates to, to women. Now the locker room isn't just a literal locker room where guys might, you know, gather and, and, and tell inappropriate jokes and those kind of things. But the locker room in our digital world has created these places where men can go and pornography, I think is the biggest part of this, just the widespread and socially acceptable use of pornography I firmly believe is is one of the biggest factors that's ultimately leading to the disrespect of, of women because men cannot, and I know this from experience, you know, this is a big part of my testimony from my teenage years into early adulthood. I, I had a real porn addiction um, that uh, God, you know, delivered me through and I through the grace of my wife, through the grace of God, through a lot of accountability, I've been free from that for many years, but I still remember the mindsets that it was creating in me when I was really wrapped deep in it. And if statistics are right, and I've got no reason to believe that they're not, according to Barna, uh, which is a very respected name in Christian Christian research, Barna says that within the church, not just the society, but within the church, 62% of men who claim to be Christians view pornography at least once a month. Mm. So that means for three out of five men sitting in church on Sunday morning, this isn't just part of their past testimony. For the vast majority of men in the church, this is part of their current their current schedule, their current flow, and for and a lot of them don't even see it as a sin because they they've kind of drank the Kool Aid, so to speak, that our our society and our culture is pushing. That this is something that is harmless. It's entertainment. Um, some even say this empowers women. But what happens? And there's I could give you hours worth of neuroscience research and social research, and there's plenty of it out there, and and biblical examples too of just Jesus saying to look at a woman with lust is to commit adultery in your heart. When we objectify women, mm. when we have a place that we can go in our mind or our computer or our phone or wherever, that is, it's okay for us in that setting to objectify women, to lust after women, to, to, to live the fantasy that women exist for, you know, for our, our pleasure, um, that they're just kind of an on-demand uh, resource that we can objectify and use at our will that's going to seep into every other aspect of our life. You see, one of Satan's great lies is that we can kind of compartmentalize our lives, and what we do in this little sliver of our life has no impact on the other areas of our life. But when we're giving ourselves over to, to things like pornography, it creates mindsets that will inevitably creep into every part of your life, and it will, it'll start to sabotage our marriages, our friendships, our relationships. And I, I believe firmly that that a lot of these horrific examples we've seen of disrespect and even the, the worst examples, which include, you know, sexual misconduct and even sexual abuse directed toward women comes from that that mindset of thinking I can this can just be this entertainment, this harmless little escape I have, but it won't affect the rest of my my mind or my life. But inevitably it always does like all sin does. And so the the book and the message is about so much more than pornography, but I do believe that porn is a is a huge starting point for the conversation because until we get honest about that area, then then none of the none of these other things are going to make sense. Yeah, Dave, I I can see what you're you're saying, and you know as we look at culture, we see there is this greater acceptance of this lustful imagery and and dialogue, whether whether we find it in advertising or in entertainment. Just really across the board, standards have, have dropped in this regard. Even if one doesn't engage in viewing pornography, there's still just so much presented on a daily basis that, that really objectifies women. But there is 
something else I'm curious about, Dave, and it's something that doesn't seem to quite add up. And I'm curious as to, to what you've learned about this in, in kind of your perspective. There's been an emphasis on correcting many of many of the things that have admittedly gone astray in regard to equality for men and women. And this is something that is being discussed, it's being addressed quite publicly. Uh, but at the exact same time, there is this increase in disrespect toward women. And now you would think the opposite would be happening, that as we are shining the light on inequality issues, the lack of respect would diminish, but it just isn't. So Dave, I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on why this is the case? Yeah, definitely. And, and again, I think you're you're right on with, with part of the paradox that we're facing. I think that at least part of the problem there is that, again, one of the big myths that our culture is pushing, you know, in addition to pornography being harmless, but another big myth that our culture is pushing is that for genders to be seen as equal, that means that we have to look at genders as if they're exactly the same. Mm. Um, and what what I mean is femininity has been stripped of its God-given and inherent beauty and value, and masculinity has been stripped of its God-given and inherent value. And and our world has been so confused um, with, with what gender really means and what gender really is that anything that looks traditionally masculine starts to come under attack from the society. And now we're living in a world where Almost anything that looks traditionally feminine. I mean, I, I think just to show you how confused the world is, nearly the only time that somebody is really celebrated for being ultra feminine is when it's a man living as a transgender woman being ultra feminine. And then the world will get behind that and say, oh, that's beautiful. Mm. And then a woman does the same thing and, and celebrates her femininity. And other women will even sometimes gather around her and say, no, that's 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 regressive. And you're setting us back and you need to be more you know, without saying it this way, you need to be more like a man and women and men are being told you need to be more like, like a woman, just because toxic masculinity has, has harmed so much in society. Mm -hmm. All masculinity has kind of been lumped in that. And so a big message I come back to in the book over and over again is, look, this is in no way an attack on masculinity because true masculinity is not a threat to women. True masculinity when embodied by men of integrity is a gift to women. It provides structure and safety. It provides relational connection and support. It provides a place where where the women can be those you know God given feminine women that God created them to be, with all the strength that comes with that. But I think that our culture, in believing the myth that that femininity naturally will will hold women down and masculinity will naturally you know hold women down. They've tried to level the playing field by kind of throwing out the baby with the bathwater and doing away with all the gender distinctions completely other than saying, well, we might have a little bit of a different biological hardware. But other than that, we're exactly the same. And so because of that, there's this identity crisis our young men are facing and an identity crisis our young women are facing because they're having to, to go against their God-given wiring in being the man or the woman God's created them to be to buy into this politically correct myth that says to be equal means we have to be essentially exactly the same. And I think that that misunderstanding is, is also a big part of, uh, a big part of what's going on with some of these tensions that we're seeing. Yeah, that, that's well said. And one of the things I appreciate about your book is it provides this biblical understanding of masculinity, especially as it relates to respecting women. 
you know, I, I think this is the rub, Dave. There's almost a fear of all masculinity because of instances of toxic masculinity that people have seen or, or they've experienced at some point or, or it's tied, you know, tightly to an impressive patriarchal understanding sort of historically. So rather than calling out the bad examples of quote unquote masculinity and, and those, those problems and those issues, and then championing a true and healthy masculinity, there's this sort of kind of dismissal of masculinity altogether. And, and as you've said, Dave, this is happening on the flip side as well. When it comes to femininity, this is, this I think is one of those issues as the church, we can't just uh, dismiss or or um, or pass over. We need to step into this with a sense of of grace and of understanding, compelled by love, rather than judgment. Because oftentimes it is the the judgment piece that gets emphasized, and then everything gets shut down when a conversation of masculinity and femininity comes out of the church. Yeah, and I I think I think you're right. And there've been, like you said, a lot of wounds from the past that create sort of a hypersensitivity around these issues that as as soon as the subject comes up, man, people, people's guards are up. I mean, even, um, even as I've shared online, just the title of this book, um, and, and kind of just a a synopsis of of what, what my heart is behind it. Um, which to me, I'm like, what could be controversial about that? But, you know, in the comments, I'm always blown away of just kind of the firestorm of controversy and arguments that people want to start with anything around these subjects. And it, it's, it's not necessarily because of this book. It's because of, like you said, years and years of, of wounds mm-hmm. when um, these areas have been misunderstood and some of the toxic forms of masculinity have been just let to run free without restraint. And people have wounds because of that. And so I think we need to be sensitive to that, both inside and outside the church, as we lead in these conversations but we also have to have the courage to have these conversations. Right. And um, I think that's that's got to be a big part of the the healing. And like you said, leading those conversations with love, um, you know, with with a humble spirit, but yet at the same time with with the boldness of standing on the truth of God's word as as our authority and as our foundation and saying, you know, guys, we're we as the church are called to to lead these conversations. And yeah, there there may be there have been some, you know, some examples within church history of times where maybe the culture could point and say, oh, well, you guys have blown it in the past. Well, everybody's blown it in the past. But the truth is we still have the, we still have the solution in, in the example and the person of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit doing a work in our hearts and lives mm-hmm. to kind of help us help us get back on the course, which is what, you know, a big part of what the, what the Holy Spirit does. But if we're not willing to have the courage to step into the conversation, um, then nothing is going to improve. In fact, people are just going to they're kind of they're going to draw their battle lines and their trenches even more deeply and and dig in more deeply and get entrenched and and it's just going to be this kind of grenade throwing argument on social media and nothing is going to advance that way. So one of my big hopes with with just putting this book out there is for it to spark some healthy conversations. Not I don't want it to spark fights and arguments. I want it to to really engage people in some meaningful conversations where they can say, you know, I never thought of it that way, or I never saw it that way, or I never, I never realized maybe I had that blind spot where I was without meaning to contributing to a problem. But now that I'm aware of that, I can, I can remedy it. And I think if we're, if we all approach it that way, um, there's such great work that could be done in this generation. 
Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Dave, I want to dig in a little bit to, to what uh, a couple things you just touched on about church kind of leading the conversations and, and the church having the courage to enter in and to engage these conversations. Can you share a little bit about your perspective, your thoughts on how Christ followers should respond to uh, maybe those in authority or those who have influence who disrespect women? Um, because this is, I think, one one of the conversations that is is kind of ongoing right now is that we do have people in positions of influence that will be disrespectful of women. And I almost feel as if uh, the church or, you know, and individual Christ followers don't know how to really respond. And that is that is delicate. Because yeah. on one hand, you know, the Bible is clear. We need to we need to respect those in authority. We need to pray for those who are in authority. Um, but that respect and prayer that we're called to give doesn't doesn't mean that we blindly um, have to agree with every aspect of, of a leader's life. And I think especially in a nation that we're in with the beautiful freedoms that we have that that men and women have fought and died for for many years to give us those those freedoms to be able to you know, to speak freely. Um, we need to do that, but we need to do that in a way that doesn't just divide things along political lines. One thing I wanted to be very careful about in this book is this, this is not, people take this issue, anything related to, to gender, anything related to sex, and immediately they want to, they want to draw it just down political lines. And once we do that, honestly, the conversation ends for most people because they've already made up their mind kind of where their allegiance is politically. And once once any issue can be lumped into one side or the other, then they'll either just blindly agree with it or blindly disagree with it um, because politics has become so divisive. Mm -hmm. And so the message of this book, and I was so, so intentional about this, is that I didn't want people to read this and be like, okay, Yes, now I know what what political action to take. And yes, I think that that um, political leaders have a huge responsibility in this and should be leading the way in this. And when they're not, then they're they're really neglecting a, a massive aspect of of part of the integrity of their office. But this is more about helping each reader say, "What can what can I do?" I think that our culture has become so quick to point the finger at you know what Washington should do or what some whoever should do that really what we're doing is we're taking the personal accountability off of ourselves. And I believe that the real change isn't about what happens in the White House. It's about what happens in your house, in my house, mm. what happens in our marriages, in our families, with our children. If we really want to change the world, that's where we have to start. And if it always just becomes a political debate, then we actually turn a blind eye to the most important and sacred duty God has given us, which is, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do right now where I am to be a positive influence in my church, in my neighborhood, with my children, in my family. And if each one of us will look at that different that look at that situation through that lens, I think that we do have the power to change the world. And real real world change starts with heart change. You know, it doesn't begin in the in the halls of, of government power. It it begins in in the halls of our own homes. Mm -hmm. And if we'll recapture that, I think that um, 
we'll be able to lead conversations. It doesn't mean that we never have political conversations, but I think we'll be able to enter them um, with a with a much better mindset than the current division and shouting matches that we see right now. Yeah, I appreciate that and completely agree. You know, one of the, one of the things, Dave, that you touch on in your book is how you've been inspired by people who display the courage to put their faith, to put their convictions into action, even when it costs them something. So Dave, you know, what advice would you give to those who are in ministry leadership when it comes to responding to others who are in positions of authority or positions of influence when, when those people are being disrespectful of women? You know, how can we approach that in a way that honors God and that really allows us to live out our convictions responsibly? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. You know, the Bible says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm. I think we need to be sensitive to the fact that um, there are many, many people out there who have been deeply wounded in ways that through our own personal experience, we might not be able to directly relate to, deeply wounded from uh, sexual abuse, from scars of issues that are related to some of the the subject matter of, of you know, women being disrespected or mistreatment even within the church. Mm. And I think that sometimes we, with just kind of a blind allegiance uh, to to the church and to and to the ministry, will again kind of put up our dukes and say, "All right, well, anybody that's going to speak against against the church or anybody that's going to speak against you know our cause or our message, um, they're making themselves the enemy, and I'm going to attack them." And we forget that the Bible says, you know, our enemy isn't against flesh and blood; it's, it's against it's against these, these spiritual forces. Our enemy's never against other people. These people that might have a different opinion, these people that might even want to start arguments, they themselves are not the enemy. Um, you know, the enemy is the, the sin that's been inflicted on them, the, the mindsets, the toxic mindsets that, um, that any of us can have a temptation of falling into. And so as, as God's ambassadors, as his hands and feet, um, I think we've got to start with the humility to say, listen, I I don't, I don't know. I can't, I, I don't understand the pain that you're feeling, but I want to do my part to, to serve you and help you through it. I want to listen. I think that one simple way that all of us could be a lot more effective, um, in these conversations is to simply take the time to listen. We as the church and as church leaders, I think we've been so focused on having the right thing to say and having the right soundbite and having the right tweet that we've forgotten what it means to, to listen. You know, the book of James says we must all be quick to listen, mm. slow to speak, slow to become angry. And essentially what we do online and even in our churches is the opposite of that. We're slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to become angry. We're the opposite of that that spirit that, that we're called to have scripturally. So one, we need to listen. You know, when somebody somebody, you know, airs a grievance or an offense, and maybe you had nothing to do with it, and maybe it, it just seems like they're venting, and, and the your instinct is just to kind of mute them or block them or argue back or pick a fight, whatever it is, is to is to say, you know, humbly, listen, I'm 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 sorry for what you went through, and I just um I I want to I don't know what the next step is, depending on your relationship with that person, because mm-hmm. sometimes saying I want to pray for you can seem trite and can actually you know turn the person the other way, but when you genuinely take an interest in a person's pain and you want to hear their story. Uh, I think that it's amazing what we learn, because when somebody's listened to and when somebody feels heard and they feel respected, we start feel, we start finding we have a lot more in common than we have 
different. And the more we listen with as church leaders, the more credibility we have when we speak. You know, our credit credibility doesn't come from eloquence. Our credibility comes from authenticity and our credibility comes from sincerity and, and the humility to say, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here as God's servant. And, uh, and I just want to point people to him because he's the one that can heal. He's the only one that has the power to kind of heal, heal these deep scars and these deep wounds. And I don't, I don't think on this side of heaven, there are any wounds deeper than, than the wounds of sexual abuse mm. and the wounds of, uh, of disrespect, whether it's sexual or otherwise that happen from those who, uh, are in positions of authority. And there are a lot of folks that have that kind of baggage specifically from, from, the church. And I think that we have to acknowledge that and we have to we have to walk with people through that as a way to bring them back in to say, you know, there's no there's no excuse. There's no there's no excuse for what that person did to you. Um, but but God, he wants to carry you through that. And me as your brother or sister, I, I just I want to walk with you. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I know the answer and his name is Jesus. And, and I want to walk with you as he brings you healing. And as we'll do that, I think that we'll, we'll kind of free ourselves up of the pressure of feeling like we've got to have the perfect soundbite answer for every argument the world throws at us. Cause really love is, is always the answer. And I know that sounds like a bumper sticker, but really it's the truth. If we'll love people the way that Jesus loves people, um, that that shuts down so many objections and that builds so many bridges. And as leaders within the church, as preachers, as teachers, as leaders in any capacity, that's that's our primary objective is just to love like Jesus and, and point people to Jesus through his love and his kindness and his grace and then let him bring the healing along the way. And if we'll free ourselves from thinking that we've got to argue argue our way into changing everybody's mind— and instead say, well, that hasn't what God's called me to do. He's called me to love. And really the rest is the rest is his business. Um, I think that it'll lead us into some much more meaningful conversations than we ever would have had otherwise. Yes, that, that's very important and very practical as well. You know, the idea of stepping back and really listening to someone's story, it's, it's powerful. Now, Dave, in, in your book, you've provided some very practical questions and activities to set up. Uh, you know, teachable moments with our sons. And I, I want to move along with this theme of practical activities, but from the perspective of a pastor or a church leader. Dave, what are some proactive steps that we can take in our churches to promote the respect of women and true biblical masculinity and femininity? I mean, uh, how can we put these thoughts, uh, these important thoughts, into action in a meaningful way, I think that it it really just begins with uh, with a with a genuine heart and desire to be part of the solution, and and then that's manifested through the courage of actually speaking about it and preaching about it and teaching about it and and making it a priority from children's ministry to youth ministry to what's said you know from the pulpit uh, on a Sunday morning to say you know I want this to be part of the DNA and the culture of who we are as a church and something that we talk about, you know, unashamedly and unapologetically um, with the authority of scripture to, to, to acknowledge the pain that's out there and just, you know, having the courage to acknowledge and say, I know there are a lot of, a lot of you sitting here today and maybe, you know, you have, 
you have some baggage that's kept you away from the church because somebody who was claiming to be, you know, an ambassador of God or a, a leader within the church um, wounded you, you know, deeply. And, and, and because of that, it, it, it skewed your perspective of, of even God himself. And I just, I want to say, we're glad that you're here and we want this to be a safe place for you to heal. And we want you to know that, that here in this church, we, we are imperfect people, but we're following a perfect God. And, and in his, in his example, um, this is a place of, of respect for all and to, and to speak specifically about the respect for women and give examples of how Jesus did that and what that looked like. And, and there's a whole chapter in the book about that that you can pull from and, and maybe even pull some sermon ideas from. I think as it relates to the younger, the younger folks, which is really the heartbeat of the book, is kind of capturing the hearts and minds of, of the young. So they're growing up with the right mindsets, mm-hmm. but in your children's ministry and your youth ministry— making sure that leaders within those ministries are equipped and trained um, to look for examples of, of any kind of, of disrespect or bullying, obviously, um, to look for examples that, that could show that somebody might be currently being victimized in some way uh, and, and to help, but then also to teach, you know, to teach um, in an age-appropriate way uh, how, how to have healthy relationships, how to show respect, to teach the beauty of masculinity and the beauty of femininity, because again, this book is in no way trying to strip away the the God-given uh, wonderful gift of, of being a, a masculine man or a feminine woman, but it's it's recapturing what that really means. Um, and when it's done right, there's such a, a beautiful complementary grace that happens in those in those marriages and, and between men and between women in a way that we miss completely when we all try to say we're, we're all the same and masculinity and femininity don't exist. Uh, and so going back to scripture and saying, what does this really look like in our, in our context and helping people see that we can't define our gender the way that culture says that we can, but at the same way, we don't have to let gender define us the way that some with a really rigid mindset believe that it does that just because, you know, you're a man means you're a jerk or just because you're a women, woman means that you, you know, you're, you're not allowed to do this list of 400 things. And <laughs> I think we need to look at it, um, really have, have fresh conversations in the light of scripture and the, the, the short answer in, in, in the light of all that rambling is simply to, to kind of have the courage to, to lead the way on these issues instead of kind of hiding from these issues the way that it is, is the temptation. Because I know it, it can get messy when we venture into these real issues, but when we have the courage to do it, I think that we'll be amazed at the credibility and the respect that we'll um, that we'll gain from the people in our congregations and the people outside our church walls to say, man, you know what? They're they're really going there, and uh, and I I admire and applaud them for that. And I think that we've got to be willing to do it. Yeah, yeah, Dave, I, I love that, and I, I love what you said there at the end. And it made me think, you know, whenever we as the church kind of hide, and you know these these issues are going, and we kind of pull back, we don't address them head on, or, or like you said, even like lead the charge. What happens, it seems, is then when we do see something and we kind of pop up and, you know, like you said, toss out a soundbite, uh, whether it's on social media or wherever, we we get pushback because we are kind of sitting on the sidelines, allowing anything to happen, and then just pop in. And it just looks like we're popping in about what we are against or what we disagree with instead of championing what we see as beautiful and as true from the beginning, 
right? Yes, absolutely. The church at one time was were, were the creators and the leaders of culture, right? And we've kind of abdicated that along the way, and now we've we've taken it on ourselves to just be the critics of culture. We just kind of stand back and and we just throw our disapproval at things instead of leading the charge of of creating and and celebrating the you know the the beauty um, that that God's put all around us and being creators instead of just critics. And I I think this is a a place where instead of just being critics, we really can create uh, new conversations and uh, and be leaders in this area. I think that we we have to. We have to be leaders in this area because those who are currently leading the conversation are just leading it into greater division and confusion. And so it's the church that's going to have to step up and say, we've got to reclaim the truth here. Excellent, brother. So good. Such a great conversation. Um, so, so vitally important. I mean, there's, there's no question that um, this is one of the most important topics that uh, is being addressed, or sometimes, unfortunately, not being addressed that that needs to be addressed. Sure. Um, in our society right now, and and we see it. We see it in not just media, not just the news. We see it in. Um, our own kids' lives and, and their friends and their you know schoolmates and so that's why I think it's such a a, a pressing thing and, and we have such an opportunity as the church to step in um, as you've as you've shared so well uh, Dave tell me uh, a little bit uh, as as we wrap up uh, if people listening in today uh, want to learn more about your book more about your ministry. Um, we haven't even touched uh, upon your your ministry as a whole, or, or just want to connect with you. What is the best way to to do all that? Yeah, and thank you. Well, the most impressive part of my ministry is my wife. She's really the brains of the operation. So um, I'm just honored to have such a, a great partner. But Ashley and I together, it's it's our privilege to to uh, serve married couples and marriage ministry is primarily what we do. And you can connect with that. Um, we have a podcast called the Naked Marriage Podcast. Um, we're part of the team at Marriage Today, and if you go to marriagetoday.com, you can find access to kind of all of our articles and videos that we do in partnership with uh, with that great ministry and the live events that we do as well. Um, you know, as for this book itself, Raising Boys Who Respect Girls, um, as of uh, November 12th, it'll be available um, everywhere. Books are sold, ebook, audiobook. Uh, all that and and uh, and if if you read that message and it resonates with you, um, I'd love for you to to share it. You know, help get the word out because I just I believe that together in spreading this message, we've got a really unique opportunity. Um, you know, here as as church leaders, I want to do something that you know wouldn't do on every podcast, but I I want to just give you my personal email address because if you are a church leader and you have questions about this or or maybe um, questions about how your church could uh, could be part of the solution here and part of getting the, the message out. Um, I'd love to correspond with you personally. You know, you can obviously you can find me on social media, but I'm going to give you my email address and it is Dave Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S at marriagetoday.com. And that'll come straight to me. And um, and I'd love to correspond with you and help serve you and your ministry uh, any way that I can. Awesome, brother. Man, it has been such a great conversation. We really kind of scratched the surface. We could have gone much more deeply. I really want to encourage our listeners to check out Dave and Ashley and their ministry and to uh, check out Dave's book, Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. Really, it is such a, a thoughtful, practical, grace-filled book. And, and Dave, for, for me, your book really helped give language to many of the the thoughts, some of the concerns I've had 
and and it really helps me to have thoughtful, meaningful conversations around this topic. So thank you so much. Um, I just want to personally thank you for that. Hey, thanks. Thanks for your kind words. And truly, it's it's an honor to be to be having this conversation and uh, and and this this audience that's listening of, of church leaders. Man, you guys are my people. You know, pastors and leaders within the church. Um, you're doing the the most important work on earth. I firmly believe that. And so, um, thank you for what you do. And and Jason, thanks uh, personally just for your kind words and and for the opportunity. It was it was it was fun having the talk. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.